Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, someone who's ready to talk to the ops for me. Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Everything. Everything's great. I can't... You tripped me up. You got me. You got me because everyone's talking about Drake in 21 and, and, and coming for Drake for being saucy and sassy. Uh, but he, he gives the people what he wants they, my, or what they want. My favorite new adjective is zesty. <laughs> hey, do your thing, 21. Do your thing. I really think, and you pointed this out to me off air, that's going to catch on as like instead of like go best friend or all the other things that we yell as positive affirmation for the people in our lives, it's going to be do your thing, 21. Like everyone can be 21 in your friendship if you care so much. And if you are left out of this joke, just uh, head over to... Her loss, Drake and 21's album, the number one song, or the first song on the track, Rich Flex, and uh, you really don't have to listen about 15 seconds to know exactly what we're talking about. Exactly, and if you don't, you've only missed about 15 seconds of this podcast anyway, which we encourage you, as always, to download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Uh, got a great show for you guys today. Carmen Vitale, uh, who covers the NFC North over at Fox Sports, is going to join us to talk about that division. Lots going on there with Aaron Rodgers and his continued struggles, Justin Fields turning things around a little bit. What to look forward to if you make a trip to a Detroit Lions football game this season? And spoiler alert, there's a lot more than you think, as well as Mm. what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings, who remain with only one loss and still don't get talked about nearly as much as some people think they should. Brandon, we could sit here and talk about that all day. I could sit here and talk about your Baltimore Ravens getting a win on Monday Night Football last night. Really quality across the board. Justin Houston, turning back the clock a little bit. Had to be nice to see for you. I know that. Well, you know, the Lamar Jackson, the 100th touchdown uh, pass. and <sighs> Yeah, it felt good. The Ravens looked like the Ravens again. The fact that we did what we did just running the ball when uh, Mark Andrews was out. It, Deshaun Jackson is is limited limited back, um, so it's exciting. It's looking up, it's looking up for the Ravens. And any other day, we would spend a lot of time talking about that. But any other day yeah. was not yesterday when the Indianapolis Colts <laughs> decided to go ahead and turn this dial all the way up to eleven. Uh, for anyone that missed it, the Indianapolis Colts have been bad this season, very very bad relative to expectation. They have already. Bench their starting quarterback in Matt Ryan in favor of Sam Ellinger. And now, as of yesterday, they announced the firing of their head coach, Frank Reich. And we had talked on this podcast about the possibility of this based on the way the cold season had gone. 
Wasn't going to be surprised when it happened. The surprise came when the Colts then announced that they were hiring ESPN NFL analyst and former six-time Pro Bowl center Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. Now, Jeff Saturday, in addition to his job at ESPN, had been a consultant for the team, is also in the Colts' ring of honor. Everyone was floating around that video of him and Peyton Manning arguing on the sideline that people love. He had been the head coach at a... (laughs) Yeah, Jeff. At a high school in uh, Georgia for three seasons. But Brandon, needless to say, this melted everybody's fucking brains when this news dropped. Uh, Yeah, rightfully so, Mike. It makes no sense. Uh, I want to say it makes no sense because I'm sure Jim Irsay has his rhyme or reason. But I do think that he is reading about what all the analysts are saying about it to to make it make sense. Maybe he's looking up what Mina Kimes is saying about it to to try to say, uh, uh, to really give some backbone to this wild decision, Mike. When I first heard about it, all I thought about was, um, remember whose line it is? Uh, No. Whose line is it anyway? Who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, yes. Who wants to be a millionaire? Yes. Where you could either poll the audience, do a 50-50, or phone a friend to help get the answer right. And Jim Irsay is phoning a friend right now. He's phoning his boy Jeff. He's like, come on in here. Uh, Let's get this shit figured out. But I don't know what he is going to get figured out, Mike, because I imagine coaching in the NFL, even at the interim level, is a little bit more difficult than coaching at the high school level. Yeah, I like – I know Adam Schefter felt like he needed to throw that into the report. I think that ended up doing more harm than good as far as people using that as the punchline for jokes. Um, Brandon, this was a tough one, and a bunch of people have pointed this out. Jeff Saturday was someone that I got to work with. Jeff Saturday was someone that I looked up to as a young offensive lineman and the job that he did with the Colts and was an awesome teammate at ESPN. And so when I first saw the news, my first thought was, oh, wow, very excited for Jeff. He's a person that spent 13 seasons of his life playing for this franchise, and I'd imagine loves that franchise a whole lot. And so the chance to go back and be the one running towards this and saying, I'm here to help and getting that opportunity, like we say that all the time in college sports, Brandon. In college football, I would say there's no more valuable asset to your program than an ascending head coach who happens to be an alumni of your school. Like Mm. We see it all the time. Like It it can bring you a candidate that might be able to lift you out of obscurity. Jim, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan... Uh, is just one of the latest examples of a coach who's been able to bring his program back to confidence because he happened to go there. And so for Jeff, I- I'm sure for him, when he was asked if he wanted to do this, probably an opportunity to jump at. If this is ever something that you've entertained and this is a place you love, I, I can understand it. And I was excited for Jeff because I believe he is a great man. I believe he's a great leader of men. Like All these things are assets in the way that you look for in a head coach. But I also understand that hiring practices in the NFL are an extremely delicate and complicated subject, and there were going to be a lot of people that felt some type of way about the way that this went down. Probably people in that building that feel some type of way about how this went down. This move just doesn't make any sense when it comes to thinking about winning football games from the the outsider's perspective. And there are a lot of people that would say, maybe the Colts are not interested in winning football games. Maybe at this point, this is a tank job. Those are things that are getting bantered around there. Good quarterbacks. Yeah, good quarterbacks upcoming in the draft. All these things that you want to be in range of here. There could be an argument then for keeping Frank Reich because they were doing an awfully good job of losing with him at the helm. But uh, again, maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's not. I don't want to assign too much because, Brandon, what we saw, and Holly Anderson, who does a great job over at the shutdown full cast, has often said, 
they can so they did is usually the justification for men in positions of power who make decisions like mm-hmm. this. They can so they did. And this may boil down to just that because the second part of this that got even more crazy was the press conference. So Chris Ballard, the general manager, Jim Ursay, the owner, and Jeff Saturday were at a press conference later last night talking about this decision. And Brandon, if I was someone who was a, especially a minority coaching candidate, because I understand any coaching candidate is going to feel some type of way about this. And it is worth noting that in the press conference, Jim Irsay was asked about if this was Rooney Rule compliant, and he said yes, because this is an interim coaching job. It lines up with the Rooney Rule. After the season, there will be a full process for interviewing. This is for eight games, hopefully more. All I'm thinking about is the Raiders. There's no talk of permanence at this point. And so, that Rooney Rule conversation will be had in earnest after the season, but I would would understand anyone who looked at this any coach of any color but specifically coaches of color because we know what a tough road that's been in this league because of how this league has operated in the past with that in ways that have been borne out statistically and shown really irrefutably that this league has a problem with hiring coaches of color I would have been awfully dismayed watching Jim Ursay acquit himself at that press conference because I walked into that press conference saying all right I had seen people bring up Reggie Wayne who's on that staff as an assistant coach, coaching right. up the wide receivers, as someone with a similar resume saying, why wasn't he given this job? And all these different things. And I, a part of me was just waiting like, all right, maybe, 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 maybe there will be an explanation. Maybe, maybe, maybe there was actually a thought process to this. And then I got to that press conference and it is really hard to listen to the things that Jim Irsay said and find a coherent through line. Whether it's hearing Jeff Saturday talk about how this basically happened in a 12-hour swing for him, about how he was, he said, his quote was, shocked would be an under statement. We had the conversation and it escalated quickly. He asked me and my wife, he told me he was going to meet with Chris about it, Chris Ballard, the GM. And as the day progressed, we finally came to a conclusion. It was a 12 hour whirlwind. It was a late call. Like seeing the process and the way Jim Ursay explained, he talked about Don Shula and Tony Junji when he talked about Jeff Saturday. He said that he was glad he didn't have NFL experience because he wouldn't have the fear that other coaches have and then even took a dig at analytics saying he wouldn't be relying on that because he doesn't have that fear that other coaches have. Brandon, it felt so random and chaotic in the way that it was addressed that I would be dismayed if I was someone else looking at this from the outside because it would confirm a lot of the fears of people, which is just what you mentioned. This was someone who called up a friend and said, hey, can you do me a favor? And we know nepotism and cronyism and all those things are a part of it, but to see the process laid bare like this, I'd have to imagine would sting for a lot of people who had to watch that play out. Yeah, but I I would also – do you think there's – I would like to think that there may be a little grain of salt in the press conference because now they know for a fact that there isn't any real rhyme or reason behind this move, right? This seems like a lot of ego dripped in to an explanation as to why the move was made, right? Like all I hear is Jim Ursay saying that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, no, there was a lot. There was like, a lot yeah, of that. There, yeah, there, there's two, two quotes that stood out to me, and this is a friend of the podcast, Tillman Clark. My boots on the ground, and Andy sent sent these uh, quotes from the press conference over because he knew they'd be great for the podcast. So, uh, this this one uh, from Jim Marsey about him winning. Look, we're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. That means in the upper quartile of winners, we're at the top quartile of that upper quartile 
Mike, you know I don't know I don't do math good, and I barely do words well. I I, I don't know what he's trying. I don't know what he's trying. Yeah, to say. well, he 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 doesn't understand quartiles either. So the upper quartile would be the top eight teams of thirty two, and the top quartile of the top quartile would then be the top two teams because one fourth of eight is two. And so him saying they have been the fourth most winning team would actually put them in the second quartile of the top quartile. Ooh. So spin zone, spin zone. Okay, and then, then this next one. This is really just like a, 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 a tour in logic, uh, the, the mathematical equation, logic. I don't know what goes into sausage, but I do know how to build a football team. This felt like Jim Ursay doing his best impression of that Tommy Boy scene where he's trying to do the butcher's joke. I can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. He's the first scene right now where he's trying and failing to do that before lighting a car on fire in someone's office. And like, it, it, Brandon, it was like parts of that objectively funny, but it's also very sad because that's a window into a process that did not feel like there was much of a process. And I want to be abundantly clear. None of this to me is an indictment of Jeff Saturday. It really isn't. You can say I'm caping up for a person that I know and a person that I respect. But again, I put any human being in that in that position and I say, a place that you care about offered you a pretty great position and an opportunity to help that you believe in your heart that you can actually help out with, that you've already in some small way been a part of and been a part of that organization in another leadership role, in a very different leadership role for a majority of your life. I think there are very few people that would turn down that opportunity if it was something that really mattered to them. And so I really do not put this on Jeff. I'm rooting for Jeff because I think he's a good man who possesses good traits that could be helpful to any group of people but I don't know based on the people making the decisions at this organization if anyone would be able to have success over the course of the back half of the season with a roster that's already struggled the way that this one has and so I I just say that to say again this is not to me about demeaning Jeff Saturday this is about getting to see in that press conference a window into a process that would be an awfully big reminder of the struggles that coaches go through and that is all coaches but that is certainly coaches of color that are going to come into focus in this conversation Absolutely, because they're the ones that are getting missed out on opportunities, the real opportunities that are here, because there's not a lot of them. But, Mike, I'm also sorry to take it left again, but I'm thinking about how handsome Jeff Saturday is and the blue eyes and the the full head of hair. And I think about the Cliff Kingsbury hire when it happened. It just seems like they're just trying to get eye candy on the sidelines, Mike. I will say this. Jeff Saturday has the most piercing set of eyes of any NFL coach immediately as soon as he walks in the door. (laughs) Immediately just a force of the coach. Uh, I promise you, extended eye contact with that man at your own risk, piercing gaze. So uh <laughs> that was that was a lot. That whole day was a lot. And it's going to continue to be. This is gonna be the other unfortunate part of this is now, especially because of the way Jim Ursay and Chris Ballard handled this, and really more so Jim Ursay, this is going to feel like a sideshow now. That's the environment that they've created yeah. in the way that they addressed that at that press conference did Jim Ursay, And so I don't think that helped anyone involved in the situation. And that part's really unfortunate because like we both know, there's a whole team full of people and a staff full of coaches right now that are having 
having their lives very really changed. And I know people don't lose a lot of sleep because all these people make a lot of money, but that doesn't change the reality that all these people have families and jobs that are very fleeting in a league that is the business of your body, that is the most violent league in North American sports. All these things that make sticking around in this a hard process. And when something changes like this at the top, Brandon, we went through a coaching change in college, which is the same but different in certain ways. It's a message sent to everybody that, hey, none of us are guaranteed shit going forward, and now they've got to do it all while getting to know a coach that hasn't been in the building with them all year, at least not in this role, you know, consulting. I don't know how much Jeff's been around that, but there's a lot of other people that are affected by this in that building that, you know, I'm sure know Jim Irsay a lot better than we do, but I don't know who could watch that press conference and feel really good about what was happening. Yeah, I just hope that the respect that these players have for Jeff Saturday as a, as a former player and as a and as a man who who did a, a lot of great things for the Indianapolis Colts, I I hope that can uh, that will transfer over to respect as as a coach and they give him well. A shot. And the one thing that Jeff did say, and this is again like I, I think Jeff is full of a lot of the good qualities that exist in a coach or any leader. Is he said, I understand I'm walking into their locker room. Like Jeff was a part of those for years. Mm-hmm. I understand I'm walking into their locker room and I've got to earn their trust and respect, and that I wouldn't expect anything more out of them than I expect out of myself. And all these things from a guy that I think understands the position that he is in and how to approach that situation with respect for the coaches on that staff some of whom he knows like Reggie Wayne I'm sure and I'm sure he knows all those guys I'm sure he's very familiar in his own ways with that staff but now the dynamic of that relationship is about to change and I trust the way he's going to handle that but again I do not trust the power above him in the way that they're going to handle that based on what we've seen and I also do want to give Jim Irsay a little bit more of credit because he knows that fan base by him building a team Maybe or maybe not, but he knows that fan base. And when the Colts were – maybe he was losing that city a little bit. They were starting to turn off the games. I think everyone's going to plug in a little bit because bad can be boring. I don't think this is going to be boring moving Yeah, forward. there. I mean, listen, there could be some WWE to that. But, again, I don't know how much credit or blame to assign to Jim Irsay based on the way that we've heard this. But uh, that is the by far the biggest bit of news we had in the NFL, one of the stranger headlines we'll see all season. And again, sincerely, good luck to Jeff. I, 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 I cannot say enough good things about the man in that situation. Situation, but boy, oh boy, what a situation it is. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the situation in the NFC North with our friend and Fox Sports writer, Carmen Vitale. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. 
Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. But uh, yes, so you picked uh, a very interesting year to start covering this division, mostly because you're home to one of the most dramatic quarterbacks in the NFL in Sir Aaron Rodgers. I don't know why I knighted him, but it feels like something that he would enjoy. I, he would enjoy it. I'm not sure that the the good folks in uh, England would would per- particularly like him roped in with the likes of like Sir Elton John and Sir Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, probably doesn't probably doesn't fit nearly as well. But I, I looking at this team to start because I think looking at this division, even though the Vikings are out front far and away in first place and are ripping off wins under Kevin O'Connell right now. I feel like we've all spent our time in oxygen looking at and wondering what's going on with this Packers team. Another big loss against the Lions this past weekend, chock full of injury. Like, Carmen, looking at this team now, how much of what we've seen does fall on Aaron Rodgers? How much as you've watched and as you've looked around this team goes back to the quarterback versus the litany of other problems we just mentioned? I mean, I think it all goes together, right? But I do think that there's a big chunk of this pie that is because of or in part due to Aaron Rodgers. Because, listen, he takes up $50 million of the, of the salary cap. Like, that's an inescapable fact. And that limits what you can do on either side of the ball for the rest of your team. It's just he takes a big chunk out of the pie. And then to not surround him, though, at the same time with any sort of talent, you can't expect this man to do absolutely everything. Um, we saw it in this game in particular in Detroit where you had eight different players go down and you had, you know, Romeo Dobbs makes a great catch on the first play of the game and then immediately exits the game. And now he's going to be out four to six weeks, uh, with a, with an ankle sprain. And then Christian Watson exits the game early again because of being evaluated for a concussion. And then now you've lost one of your best defensive players. And so your def- you can't rely on the defense either. Like there is so much breaking down in, Green Bay, almost literally. Um, You can't pin it all on Aaron Rodgers, but like he did not have a good game. He copped to that for the for the first time. We've heard him do that this season, where he said he had some. Can I swear on this podcast? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Uh, He had some shitty throws. That's literally the first game. The first words out of his mouth after the loss was, "Yeah, had some shitty throws for sure." Um, so he caught to that, but then he didn't really have anybody to throw to at the same time. It's just it's all a mess. And my nihilistic tendencies of my personality come out in times like this where I'm just like, okay, but nothing matters anymore. Green Bay is just bad. Like, this is a bad year for them. And I know that their fans have been so spoiled for the, they've owned this division for the better part of the last decade. But there's no fixing this at this point. Like, they're three and six. They're on a five game losing skid. They're four games back in the division. And there's nothing Aaron Rodgers can do at this point to right the ship on his own. And 
I don't. I, they, there's. I can. I can spiral completely out of control, and then just only to pull it all the way back and be like, nothing matters. No, nothing. It's football. Nothing matters. Eat at Arby's uh, is the official motto for Green <laughs> Bay this football season. But you're right, and I think it's interesting. If this had been three years ago, and we were talking about Aaron Rodgers before everything that happened with the COVID-19 vaccination, Aaron Rodgers, before the ayahuasca trip, all the very public podcast appearances, kind of this heel turn personality-wise, I think that we as a national media would be making a lot more excuses for what Aaron is dealing with personnel-wise right now. Mm -hmm. And we would probably look at what happened at the trade deadline, the fact that nothing was done for the Green Bay Packers. Like, Did you look at that? I know we've heard the reports coming out that Green Bay tried to make a bunch of trades. Is that more a failure on their part, or is that more of a sign of how people and how potential you know trade targets saw Green Bay and what they had to offer? I mean, it's absolutely what green bay had to offer but i also think in a weird way they're um because i feel like we've we've made excuses for them and and you know they're green bay like this is the packers they're going to turn it around they're going to turn around like their reputation actually ended up hurting them in this trade deadline process because of the fact that they reportedly offered the the second round pick just like the bears did for chase claypool but they uh, the sealers ultimately went with the bears because oh they think that the Bears pick is going to be higher that they were giving up. And now I it like I yeah. said it like right after the trade, I was like, watch that not be the case. Watch the fact that Green Bay missed out because of the fact that they were gonna turn things around and then they don't turn turn things around because they don't get the receiver that they didn't get because they thought they were gonna turn it around. Like, what is this silly sport, Michael? What is it? It's it so is. silly, but yes, it's a direct. That's a direct reason why they didn't land some of these guys is because they're like, oh well, that's not going to be as valuable as a pick. It might be. <laughs> it is. It's some galaxy brain shit because we did. We have held on and uh, listen. A place that you were formerly employed by with the Buccaneers. I think we've done similar things with both teams. The difference really just is. The NFC South is so bad, they have kept the Bucks in this thing long enough to where one comeback win for Tom Brady feels like it's enough to potentially salvage the season. You look up, like you said, being as far back as the Packers are right now. Looking at that and looking at Aaron Rodgers in the future, it... What do we do with him going forward? Is this a guy that the Packers are saddled with next year? Is Aaron Rodgers in his last season in the Packers uniform? How do you see this playing out? I actually just did, uh, that was basically my article after I was in Detroit for the game yesterday and, um, or on Sunday, and I wrote about, is it time to start thinking about life after Aaron Rodgers? And I think that Green Bay would be wise to do so, even if there's people inside the building that still believe they can turn this around. This this needs to be something that's on their brain and they need to plan ahead. I think we're see, we're seeing the golden example of it with the Colts with the abrupt Andrew Luck retire retiring and like the domino effect that is still going on in that franchise to this day. You cannot afford to not know what your team is going to be like without Aaron Rodgers because that could be coming up as soon as next year. They can't just release him. Um, the, his, his, his salary is fully guaranteed next year and it's a $51 million salary, whatever it is, it's in that range. Um, and then if they were to trade him, I mean, that comes with baggage for the other team. Now we've seen teams in this league make trades that seemingly don't make as much sense, um, and, and are just completely off the wall for a good quarterback. I don't 
think that Aaron Rodgers is not a good quarterback anymore. I don't think that he's necessarily responsible. His decline is responsible for all of this. And I don't think that he has declined as much as perhaps we think he did just because he doesn't have the people around him and put in a better situation. I think we could see more, you know, of what we're used to seeing with Rodgers, but that's really like, I, I think that exploring a trade of Aaron Rodgers and him not being in the green and gold anymore is a viable solution and, and Green Bay just needs to kind of move on. Um, you, as you weird ma- of that as that is to say. I, I was going to say, it, it sounds bizarre, but I think, again, in the last couple of years, everyone would be a lot more emotionally ready for that than they were before, going back to the Jordan Love pick and how we all responded to that, a lot of people, myself included, the way we covered that versus the way that feelings are probably now in the building for that group. You said you were there for this last game, so you saw in person how dejected this whole thing seems to feel. We know we talked about it before the season. Is retirement a real option still, do we think, for Aaron Rodgers? Has there been any indication of that in the midst of a season where he's very mindful about his words? I mean, if he is at all concerned about money, which how couldn't you be with a contract like his, it doesn't make sense for him to retire because he forfeits that guaranteed money. Um, And I think that if you were to force a trade, that would be easier, especially if you do still have something in the tank. But if he does want to retire, I do think that Green Bay would obviously take care of him in the in restructure. They they had the option of restructuring his contract to lessen the cap hit that they have and the dead cap that they would have if he was to retire. Um, There would that would all need to be done post June one. Um, in order for it to make sense for this team, so they could, you know, future date it for June June second, a, a June second retirement, no matter if and when Rogers um, announced it. And I don't know. I just think these guys are wired so differently, and I think that goes for all very elite quarterbacks. I got to see it firsthand with Tom, and I think, and I'm seeing it now with Aaron too. Like these guys are just wired completely differently, and I don't think I think for as much. As few quarterbacks get to go out on their own terms, they all believe that it's possible because they are the ultimate competitors. So I don't think that he would want to go out like this. Um, but again, you, you never know. He did mullet this offseason. He hasn't been shy about saying that he molded this offseason. Um, and I, there's, you just never know what he's going to do, though, because he's so thoughtful and he's so just like in a different almost like dimension at all times. It's going to be amazing to watch that because we saw uh, the reporting around Tom Brady's uh, reported retirement this offseason and the way that some people think that may have affected his desire to come back and play again because they weren't on his terms. <laughs> I think everyone needs to be very careful with how that looks with Aaron Rodgers too. But um, I-, I want to talk about how these quarterbacks are wired because I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right about those high-level quarterbacks. So how is Kirk Cousins wired? And <laughs> does that change once he dons all of the jewelry on the plane? He likes that, and he's like that. Okay. <laughs> Wait. First off, were you pro? Or were you how? How did you feel about seeing shirtless Kirk Cousins on the team plane, iced out? Mike, I was like taken aback because I, I even tweeted this out to probably my own detriment because, like, I don't necessarily want to objectify anybody, but like, of, uh, quarterbacks also aren't really known for being absolutely chiseled as men. Like, a lot of them have the dad bod. Which is fine, because like you just need the arm talent, you need the, the skills, all that other stuff. Of all of the quarterbacks to have a dad bod, I would yes. have put Kirk Cousins at the top of that list. And so to see that this man is absolutely shredded beyond belief, I'm like... I, I like it's par for the course at this point, especially with this year's Vikings. Like they're so much fun to watch. They're not getting enough play at all. 
Um, and to see that his teammates, like, I mean, he's such, he is a dad. He doesn't swear. He's like, oh, gosh, darn, darn, golly, gee whiz, whatever. And here he is wearing probably, like, close to a million dollars in jewelry around his neck. And he's shirtless. Like, this was, like, this reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick a few years ago when he put on Deshaun Jackson's outfit. And it was just, like, immortalized forever and ever. And, like, I feel like that's what this year's Kirk Cousins is. And all of the guys are so behind it. They love it so much, obviously, because they're all putting the chains on him. But I was just absolutely shocked. I was shook. I shooketh that this man is cut the way he's cut. He's cut, like, the jewelry on his head. I was stunned. I saw your tweet, and I was stunned because you're absolutely right. He wasn't the guy I would have had pegged for that. I saw so many of the memes online going from Kirk Cousins, I'll have her home by nine, to Kirk Cousins, she calls me daddy, too. It's also also foul, but you're right. It's very indicative of what this team's doing this year. And so, much like I have questions about if they were laughing with him or at him on that plane, because this seemed like when you get your dad to put, like, take his brim and cock it to the side a little bit. Kirk Cousins in this team, like, how much am I supposed to buy into this right now? Because I look at the schedule, I look at some of the teams they've played along the way, how it looked against the Eagles that were really the one true test because they got Teddy Bridgewater, Miami, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's going to be a way that people look at that game. How much of this feels real to you uh, right now so far with this Vikings one-loss record? Yeah, and I think that that's a fair assessment, too, is obviously they haven't been... I mean, they're about to get tested uh, these next four games on their season, starting first and foremost with the Buffalo Bills. Whether or not they're going to have Josh Allen is going to be very interesting, too. You know, like, this might just be kind of like that preordained type of season for the Vikings, because it's like, yeah, you didn't... You got the Teddy Bridgewater Dolphins. You might get, you know, the the non-Josh Allen Bills. Um, I just... I don't know. I But what I'm really encouraged by, what I keep saying about this Vikings team and why I've bought into them so much is because they are now going on their six and oh this year in one score games. They have played the last six games have been one score games. And yes, they've been against questionable talent, but keep in mind, I mean, this is an organization that went through an entire overhaul this offseason. They have a new GM. They have a new coach. And while Kevin O'Connell's system is very similar, obviously, to the ones that Kirk has been in his whole career, it still has his own spin on it. And not to mention all the rest of the guys are getting used to it as well. And so, like, there's a learning curve here, and they're learning while they're winning. And that is the big thing for me. And also, I had a coach tell me once that the teams that usually go further in the playoffs or have the most success aren't the ones where things have been hunky-dory all season or, you know, have been smooth sailing. It's the ones that have been tested over and over and over again have actually gone through some adversity and know how to handle themselves. Because I think that that's a big critique of of the Philadelphia Eagles right now, too, is how much, like, can we attribute their success to, yes, they're a great team, don't get me wrong, but they haven't really been tested either. They have the fourth easiest schedule in the league. So how is that going to manifest itself it come playoff time when all of a sudden things have been smooth sailing for them and now they're, they're going to be really tested? So that's why I think this Vikings team, they, they, yes, again, questionable talent, but in the end, they have found ways to win. And if you're in that habit enough, it doesn't matter who you play, you're going to know that you can do it because you've done it before. 
and I mean, we do know to your point uh, uh, about the talent on this team too. They've got great players in the right places, right? Justin Jefferson yes. looks like a top three receiver in the league, and it might not be three or two by the comes, you know, by season's end. Um, Dalvin Cook in the backfield, Daniil Hunter and Darius Smith rushing the passer were Amazing. super deadly this last week against Washington. Um, when you talked about Kevin O'Connell, what have been some of the things that people have talked about that you've noticed that have been different with him at the helm this year? Because he is a part of that coaching tree, the one that everyone's so very familiar with at this point. So uh, what makes him unique in coming over to this Vikings team this year? Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I think there's nine teams that run this system now. So there's, you got to put your own spin on it. I think that's exactly what O'Connell has done. But I also think that he's very thoughtful about putting his players in the necessary positions to maximize their skill set. Like, we've seen a resurgence with Adam Thielen, too, and how much he looks like a fantastic receiver. And the tandem of him and Justin, him and Justin Jefferson um, has been fantastic. And then you add in the fact that they're a balanced offense. You have both Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison in the backfield, sometimes together, a lot of times together, quite frankly. They run that 21 personnel, or they have been quite a bit these last few games. And that's what it is, though, is that this team is evolving. And that's what Kevin O'Connell brings, is he brings like the evolution, and he brings the adjustments. And sometimes it's in-game, but it's also game-by-game. And I think that's very interesting to see a guy like I keep pointing back to the Miami game, actually. Um, and I, I've, I've talked about this before. I did a whole film study breakdown kind of on it because Miami did something very different where, I mean, that system thrives in 11 personnel. You got one receiver, one, you know, one, sorry, one running back, one tight end, three receivers. And that is where this system thrives. Well, Miami was going their base formation against 11 personnel, which is not something defenses normally do. And it, is in an effort to dictate exactly what O'Connell was able to do. Well, then O'Connell was like, fine, dictate me all you want. I'll go put, I'll throw two backs in this backfield. I have faith in both of them and we're going to switch around our entire game plan and we're going to deviate from where we're comfortable so we can beat you. And then they did and they stuck with it. And Delvin Cook had that 53 yard touchdown at the end of the game um, out of that same 21 personnel set. So like, He's not afraid to kind of take risks and to get outside his comfort zone and to evolve this offense. And that's, I think, something that hasn't, that's been lacking in Minnesota the last few years. And I think that should make Minnesota fans really excited. I, I agree. And 
I know I've, I heard it from you and I've heard it from a bunch of people. I think part of the reason this team doesn't get talked about at a high level is the Kirk Cousins factor. So many people feel <laughs> like we've seen this before during the regular yeah. season. But I do think the job Kevin O'Connell has done should get talked about quite a bit. I understand he inherited some of those good parts. But like you said, to go out here and be able to work through a lot of those situations, to get them through some of those tough stretches and to be a part of that as a first-year head coach is pretty damn impressive. So the Vikings have acquitted themselves very well. They're a team that's made a bunch of trades inside of this division already, which has been wild to watch. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, like, they had... It started in the draft. They traded picks with the Lions. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Irv Smith goes down, and they're like, okay, well, we need a tight end. We're contenders. Hey, let's go get the best one we can find. And it happened to be right smack dab in the division. And you get TJ Hawkinson... And it like, and then he's automatically like he's yeah. integrated into this offense instantly. I mean, I think he had like three catches over like in the first half, and then he did whiff on some some blocking assignments. I saw, um, but which I think is, that that's a which system. I feel like is going to earn him some really really bad points in the Iowa tight end group chat because they don't fuck with missed blocks out there. <laughs> they don't because they take so much pride in their protection, especially with that front. Their offensive linemen are legendary, and I should know. Um, but that, and that's the thing, though. Like tight ends think of themselves coming out of a program like that, like extra, like a part of the offensive line, and they should. And so I know that's probably not going to go over well. But I also think it's not a symptom of the fact that T.J. Hawkinson can't block. We know he can. We've seen him do it. I think it was more of the fact that, oh hey, maybe you know all of the protections and the things that the line is calling out when he has to be part of that. Uh, he's not super familiar with that language yet because it's his first game. Which, know. you know what, is Maybe a great point. Everyone wanted to give Christian McCaffrey all that credit for flying over and being a part of that game for the 49ers. Running back, I'd imagine, is a lot easier, even in a Shanahan offense, to come in and work all the parts than at tight end. So this is officially a TJ Hawkinson stand account right now. <laughs> TJ, we see you and we appreciate what you went out there and did, damn it. Just a whole... And, like, the story, too, was so cute that his dad is, like, grew up a Vikings fan. His his room was purple and gold growing up. And, like, now it's, like, full circle. And the drive is that much closer for his family that's in Iowa. It's so adorable. And I just love it. And I love him. And I think he's awesome. I, like, listen, the Lions, too. Like, I, we're probably not going to talk much about the Lions. But I want to brag on them for a second. Mm. Because, like... They're such a good organization, and I had just a wonderful experience this past weekend. It was my second time up there, I, like this time a member, like, you know, covering the division. And I can't say enough about the people inside that building, the players, the coaches. Everyone was so kind, and, like, there was such a good aura around the team, despite the fact that they're not winning on the field. And usually that's not the case at all. Like, everything is doom and gloom um, if you're not winning. And I think that, like... I just, I can't, their, their press box was fantastic. Um, they had apple cider for me all game. Ooh. They had little snackies at halftime. They had a breakfast buffet before the game started. I got a Klondike bar at halftime. Like, oh my just, God. I know. It was so unexpected and it was so underrated. I think Detroit in general is just underrated. I had, and then like I went to, I got two different glasses of wine. Both times I got half the GD bottle. Um, <laughs> like, and like both times the bartenders were just like, well, this is how I would pour it if we were at home. And I was like, okay, like, please give me the at home pour. I was so going to say Detroit stand up. I know this, this, this took a turn, but I just, I took my opportunity because I want to brag on Detroit a little bit. They don't get enough love and I want to give them some. No, listen, Detroit propaganda. We were a big hard knocks podcast. <laughs> we love Dan Campbell and the staff he's put together. It all, I, I, 
I've thought a lot lately about the Lions in that aspect because it's clearly not going well. They've already had to make some changes on the coaching staff. I don't know what happens in the future, but I was reminded of Ted Lasso when you have Trent Krim from The Independent writes the profile on Ted Lasso. And at the end of it says, I don't know whether he'll be successful or not or if this will be a failure, but if he does fail, I will take no joy in that. Like, no one who has been around this organization or seen Dan Campbell up close seems to take any joy in the fact that this may not work out well. They've been extremely likable. I thought they did a really thoughtful job of putting that staff together. Seems to be really bought in. Football is just hard, and winning in a place like that is just a really difficult challenge and has traditionally been. I know. And I think it was very interesting because I'm like, so now I'm starting to think, like, why? Like, why are they a perpetual, like, underperforming franchise on the football field when, because usually when that happens, like, you can trace it back to the front office yeah. and even the business side of the building and all that kind of stuff. Like, there is, it's, it's just, it's disjointed, and usually things aren't working on that side of the building either. And then it couldn't be further from the truth in Detroit. So I'm like, well, why isn't the on-field product matching like the in-the-building product? And then I also I started to kind of look, you know, further back. And then I'm talking to some people in the organization, and I'm like, they took multiple injured players in the draft, which I don't quite understand because yeah. you spent a first-round pick on an injured player. So it's not like you were getting him at a discount. You were still spending a first-round pick on Jameson Williams, and I am. Like, listen, I think Jameson Williams is going to be fantastic. But, like, to do that multiple times in the same draft, because then they took the tight end, um, and, like, who was also hurt in, like, the third round, I believe it was, third or fourth round. And I'm just kind of like, why? Why are you doing this? You're not setting yourselves up for immediate success in, in an industry of what have you done for me lately. Like, it's very rare that people survive that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah. it's a puzzling situation. That's always the interesting part to me is the moves you described there absolutely looked like a place that knew, hey, we're going to be in this for the longer haul here. We don't may not believe that Jared Goff is our quarterback for the future, and I don't think he'll be the quarterback there beyond this season, especially now mm-hmm. that they're in line to be picking near the top of the draft in a way I wasn't sure they would be at the start of the season. But you're right in that we look at other places that have done that sort of long-term view of things recently, and they're not all apples-to-apples comparisons, but Miami gave Brian Flores a longer deal, anticipating that that might take a little longer. Then expectations changed a little bit early on. Matt Rule in Carolina, and then all of a sudden David Tepper comes in and puts his brass balls on the table, literally and metaphorically. And so I just I, I worry about Dan Campbell and the staff in the interim because I think if there was a change made, someone's going to inherit really good bones for all the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like you get this like really fast turnaround, which then in turn does this whole cyclical cyclical thing of messing with our expectations. Whereas like the people that have had success right away in their first year have been set up by the, pe- the people that came before them. And then, but then it doesn't matter because now all of a sudden we're expecting first year head coaches, first year GMs to have a shit ton of success all of the time. And like, that's just not realistic. And it has to be very certain situations. And like the lions haven't been historically that trigger happy, I suppose, um, as far as like their personnel changes and everything like that. But I think that's kind of like a a symptom of the North in general. Like, Mm. Everyone like deals with cold weather and just like adversity, and they're like, "No, we can muster through this. We're tough. We can handle. We can weather the storm." Like that's like the whole attitude of the NFC North, and I freaking love it. Um, but that being said, like I hope Dan Campbell survives this, and I hope he's there to see the fruits of his labor pay off. Because yeah, all of the coaches love to play for him or coach for him. All the players love playing for him, and you just you're rooting for him so hard. 
um, whether that's to your detriment or not. It's so true. Um, it's it's so very true. Lions propaganda will always have a home on this podcast. Uh, Carmen, I, I do want to talk about, since we talked about the deadline, though, the Bears, because I think they were the most interesting study at the deadline with what Ryan Poles and that group did, because on one yeah. side you had a fire sale on defense, getting rid of some of the cornerstone players uh, that had been a part of that, and Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, and then right near the end they go and bring in Chase Claypool. What did you make of that strategically as far as the direction of this franchise? I mean, I thought it was like, I don't know if you remember the SNL skit where it was like, because this is so long ago, but like they would, they did George Bush and he, his, his buzzword was strategery. Yeah. Um, is basically what I thought that was. I was like, strategery, huh? Um, but the more I thought about it and the more I kind of wrapped my head around it, it started to make a little bit more sense because what this regime, this new regime in Chicago has done, and I respect the hell out of it, is they aren't looking for the quick fix. They are trying to build brick by brick by brick. Uh, my friends at CHGO will appreciate that analogy. Um, <laughs> the, for, for lasting success, though, and that's true, they're building a foundation um, to, to set them up for years of success, not just trying to capture lightning in a bottle for this next year. And so that's why, like... I've, the number one priority going into the season was to figure out what you had in Justin Fields. And it's hard to evaluate a quarterback who's in his second system in as many years and is hasn't been surrounded with a lot of talent. And now you're expecting him to do a lot while having to process everything. Like, I wish people understood just how much goes into trying to learn these systems and everything like that. Um, so you get rid of the defensive pieces because you know you're not realistically in contention this year. But then you do add an offensive piece to further evaluate Justin Fields. And I think that that's what Chase Claypool was, is, all right, give him an actual target, a guy that can go up. Like, yes, he's not the only big receiver on this roster, but he's probably the only one that I trust with 50-50, like, contested catches, 50-50 balls. Um, he has a good red zone target, which is something that the Bears had been lacking too. Darnell Mooney is great, and he, but he's not a very big guy. He can go all over the field, and he needed some attention taken off of him in order to fully unlock what he can do. Um, that is why I think Chase Claypool was brought in here. And, I mean, it paid dividends already, even if it was in, like... I don't know how he didn't draw a DPI oh. in that last like series of the game for Chicago. Like Bears fans have a very like Bears almost like should have won that game. Quite honestly, like they sh he should have drawn the DPI because he was literally being bear hugged by a corner, and they would have moved down the field because the Bears offense can now move at will now that you've given Justin someone to throw to on top of having a really solid running game and, oh, tailoring the offense to him now. Yeah, I was just going to say, this this explosion seems to be about, I think, finally leaning into that because you're right, rushing-wise, yeah, Khalil Herbert, incredible breakaway speed, home run threat, awesome in that backfield, but also, I don't know if it was just something that clicked, but Justin Fields becoming the best scrambling quarterback in the NFL over the last number of weeks, 408 yards on the ground in four games, including 178 this last weekend, is insane. Breaking Michael Vick's record. Breaking I, Michael Vick's record. I, I, as much as like, because and you are formerly with the Draft Network, obviously with the Bucks, and so you've been a part of you know scouting, studying, seeing guys. You saw plenty of Justin Fields in college at Ohio State. I don't know if I saw that level of scrambling prowess of the quarterback that we saw in Ryan Day's system, where there just weren't. 
and you know he was better protected college all those things but it seems like now in that sort of fight or flight with the amount of pressure he's dealt with the flight has turned into something that has been unlike anything we've seen since Michael Vick yeah I don't know I think it's like the equivalent of like football trauma in that he had to kind of like learn and evolve because he had no other choice um, and that's the thing too. I mean, I think at the at Ohio State, he wasn't asked to do that. He wasn't. He didn't need to do that. He was behind a lot better protection with his offensive line there because hey, Big Ten offensive linemen. Um, but like, that's the thing is you ha- you knew that you had this athleticism. And I think that this was something that NFL evaluators realized about him. And I think that this is the future too of the like we're the. The NFL quarterback is changing. That's it's just what it is because defenses are so sophisticated these days. Like you cannot expect to, as especially like your offensive line, you cannot expect your offensive line to hold up for four, five, six seconds while these guys get like stand back in the pocket and try to examine all of their options and then throw. That's not realistic anymore. Defenses are way too smart for that. And so now, if you introduce a dual threat quarterback on top of having a really good running game at that point, like Justin Fields is RB three. Yeah. Think about that. He is RB3 and he is getting 178 yards on the ground in a single game. And that's the thing is like, I also really kind of detest this sentiment that I saw like, well, why did it take them this long to figure it out? And it was like, all right, armchair quarterback sitting behind your little Twitter fingers. Like, listen, Luke Getzey is a first time play caller. He's working for a first time head coach. A lot of these guys, like, you go in with the concepts that you know, the experiences that you've had, which is albeit a little bit limited in Luke Getze's case, doesn't mean that he's not a good coordinator. I think he's a fantastic coordinator, but you start off with what you know and you see if it works and you see how Justin reacts to that and how he fits into that. And it takes a little while. It just like, I, I've been preaching it since the beginning of this season and people ask me what's wrong with the bears. And also, I'm like, it's not a sexy answer, but it's time. These guys yeah. just need time. And lo and behold, it hasn't even taken that much time. Quite honestly, we're halfway through the season. And yeah, that mini buy that they had after the Washington game before the Patriots game. Now, like they completely retooled the offense and tailored it to Justin. They gave him more designed runs, which is actually part of like, he said it after the Patriots game where he was like, I knew I was going to run more and I wanted that because I don't want to get hit. And if I want, if I get hit, I want to dictate that. I want to know that it's coming. I want to be in control of that. And so it was, it's almost like running is his comfort zone and having that control is his comfort zone. And so the first few weeks, he was trying to just do everything the coaches were asking of him. And I'll be like, they didn't really know what they were asking of him or what the system was going to look like with him in it. That's what the evaluation process was for. And that's what I thought we all agreed was going to be this season for the Bears. And now I feel like they've turned it around, honestly, in record time. And you're figuring out exactly what the modern day NFL quarterback looks like within this system in Chicago for years to come. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because for so long, you always think, all right, does this level of scrambling build bad habits? Does all of a sudden this take you to where you start seeing things and the immediate reaction is to go that way when early on you're forced into doing it that way? I think the point about the design runs is fantastic and makes me think of Cam Newton because for so long when people talked about mobile quarterbacks back when Cam Newton was getting into the league, they said, well, you're going to take years off his career. 
And as we went on, we saw the majority of the hits that affected Cam Newton from a health standpoint were sustained in the pockets. They were the one you couldn't yep. see coming. They were where, quite frankly, yep. he wasn't being protected enough by officials. And he was a guy who, when you let him into the design running game, it seemed to put some wind behind his sails. And now, all of a sudden, you got the best version of that player. So it's fascinating to hear that from Justin because we hear it all the time. Quarterbacks want different things at the beginning of the game, right? Some guys, I want to get hit. I want to you know, get X kind of completion in before that. And so for Justin to want to go dictate the terms with his legs, that makes a lot of sense. And, and like you said, where college offenses are meeting NFL offenses more halfway, or I should say vice versa, NFL meeting college, it is fascinating yes. to see what else they're going to pull and try and match with him. I think it's very interesting too, like when you think overall, I mean, everything matriculates upward from the levels yeah. of football. So like it starts in high school, gets up to college, then college dictates what ends up in the NFL. And like, it's just like the matriculation process goes upward which I always thought was very interesting. And that's what we're seeing because a lot of these guys coming out of college too, these quarterbacks, like some of them have never gone under center. Some of them like, I haven't even been in a huddle for quite like, quite frankly, like that's how much like these college offenses are, are different from these NFL offenses. And so like the guys that you're getting into the league now are only going to thrive if you evolve with their skill set, And that's what the bears are starting to do. And it's, I mean, like I grew up, in this market, I grew up in Chicago all my life. I grew up a Bears fan and like having the thought of like actually having an offense to speak of yeah. is just like, it's, there was no doom and gloom around this city. Like after the, that loss to Miami, it was still like, everyone is just so excited to finally have not only a quarterback, but then a system that is going to build around him. And now we're finally seeing that. I'm like, oh, now you're all changing your tunes. You guys were so frustrated two weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's, and now, oh, look, all of a sudden, you just needed to give them some time and be a little patient. But I don't even blame Chicago because they are so thirsty for this kind of football. And I think it's so, like, it's so fitting because they're just like, there's this, this tough city of broad shoulders, you know, working class, blue collar. And, like, Justin is putting in work. And so he is, like, he has this really advanced offense and this very, like, progressive offense. But at the same time, it, like, matches the principles of the city in so many ways. And I just, it warms my little heart. It warms my little Chicago heart. It does. It is it is nice to see. I hearken back to, like, the very first game of the season when Justin and those guys were sliding around in the mud on the field. And everyone thought that was so heartwarming. And I'm like, all right, that's fun for like a week. And then you got to get back to real football. And they have turned a lot of this, Justin Fields has, into some backyard football at times. It's going to be fun because you'd still like to see him at some point. The ball come out on time a little bit more often. The ball being held a little like him getting better protection. All things that'll come with time. But in the interim, for it to be this fun and exciting has to be a very, very nice change of pace for Chicago fans. And fans of the NFC North in general. Because we thought we were going to get good Packers this year and we haven't. so we need things to help fill the void. Um, I just want some fun football to watch. As much as I like my, the team, like yesterday was just, it wasn't fun to watch. It wasn't fun football. <laughs> no, no, we need fun football. And the Bears, the Bears have nothing else. Like we said, it needs to grow in certain ways that we believe it can because yes. of the talent and the people there. But in the meantime, it's fun as shit. And sometimes you're allowed to just be fun <laughs> as hell and have a quarterback who looks like he is that much better and that much more athletic than every one of his peers on the field full of some of the best athletes on planet Earth. 
Absolutely. And like, like the future is bright too. I think that's the other added excitement for Chicago too, is like they have just boatloads of cap space next year. It's like hovering around 125 million, depending on where you get your information from at this point. And then they also have a ton of draft picks still. They have a first round pick. So like you're going to be able to build so much in this off season and you're doing it the right way. And I, I love nothing more than also having a former offensive lineman in charge of all of this because i trust them with my life all of them they're fantastic that's like that that's my jersey by the way is that's that's ryan jensen oh there we go see jensen's jersey a a woman of great class who sees the vision and understands the bigger picture this is my protection (laughs) (laughs) protecting the blind side in carmen's at home studio carmen (laughs) thank you so much for giving us some time today this was awesome we will definitely have to catch up with you as we go through the season and find out if any press box can top what's going on in detroit yeah, I will say SoFi is pretty darn good because they have a whole candy station and just a lot of options. But I'm just here to tell you that, like, Detroit is underrated in every way, most up to and including their press box at Fort Field. So, Detroit. Detroit forever. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, it's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for Top 5, Bottom 5 from the NFL yes. Weekend, Week 9. Um, Brandon is in charge of the top five things that he saw from the weekend. I am in charge of the bottom five things. We alternate uh, going back and forth between the top five and the bottom five. Uh, this can be plays, players, teams, anything above here. So, Brandon, uh, I think we figured this out mathematically. I will start with the bottom five, uh, and then we will go back and forth from there. Um, and I want to start by going to bat for someone we talked about on this podcast last week in top five, bottom five. Okay. Number five in my bottom five is the NFL officials for gaslighting Carolina Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore with the way they officiated the removal of the helmet on the field of play this weekend. Because you saw like I saw in Sunday Night Football, Travis Kelsey fired up and pissed off on the field, pull off his helmet and chuck that thing on the ground angrily while he was on the field of play in the same way that got DJ Moore penalized at the end of that Panthers game and ultimately ended up being a part of the reason why that team lost that game. And I can only imagine what that dude was sitting, thinking at the end of his day watching that happen while he saw that not a flag in sight and and don't forget Lazard yeah Lazard the exact same thing uh had a touchdown and some reason needed to take his helmet off and and look into the HD camera um 
right afterwards. Yeah, there's there's an issue there. They also didn't officiate a, a straight up body slam that could have decapitated uh, Marvin Jones Jr. I believe. I don't think it was Zay Jones. I think it was Marvin uh, Jones Jr. Uh, officials just just not consistent. And and, well, and honestly, it, it's people really in that- danger. It's really the helmet thing for me, man, because that was such that was such a scarring moment. And for DJ, I'm sure a teachable moment. We talked about that. It's a dumb rule. We think it should be changed, but it's the rule and it's easy to follow, like the drug testing rule. But if you're not the week after, like I can understand if this is week 17 and all of a sudden you've forgotten this in the sands of time. It was last week. It was one of the biggest things that happened. So that's number five on my list. Those officials should be ashamed of themselves. Okay, coming in and I, at number... And I realize I sound uh, like I'm asking them to call more penalties, which seems kind of fucked up because we agree it's a dumb rule. But you know what I mean. That feels like gaslighting. Just give us con- consistency, refs. That's all we ask for. Um, or a semblance of it. Coming in at number five, my top five of week nine NFL is Dan Snyder selling the team, the Washington Commanders, Mike. It's, it's getting real. It's becoming more and more of a real thing. Shocker. Everyone that has a little bit of money wants to own an NFL team. So, shouts out to Jeff Bezos. I know you uh, you guys, Bozos or whatever you call it. Uh, Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z and, and now Matthew McConaughey wants to put his money in the ring. Who's two more random celebrities that you want to get into, uh, put their name in a hat to own uh, the Washington Commanders? Well, one, Brandon, I appreciate that our conversation resonated so much with you last week that you completely forgot that it happened and that we got to talk about this last week. Since you said We talked we... about this last week, but it wasn't in top five, bottom five. I understand that, but I digress. This happened after. This happened after. This is that good of news, Mike. I... I'm just saying, did you see then last week, and I know we brought this up, Robert Griffin III apparently said that he's got $400 million in backing and wants to bring 10 fans with him into the ownership group. I would love to see it. You want to see Robert Griffin? Yes, college football's horniest announcer, 100%. Yeah, I, I don't know who else I want to be in this, Mike, but I'm, I'm excited it's going to get sold. But I don't want to see the guy who already owns our lives and and Jeff and Jeff Bezos, it kind of feels like an inside job the way Amazon uh, analytics is is just taking over the game, anyways. Yeah, I can understand that. It seems inevitable though, because he's got a lot more money than everybody else. And even when we saw that with the Suns and Shaq, where he said once he saw Jeff Bezos was involved, I knew my money wasn't long enough for that conversation. And so it might be a deterrent for some folks. We'll see if anyone else is willing to pony up. Uh, Number four in the bottom five for me, Brandon, the Rams defense on that final drive for Tom Brady started on the opposing 40-yard line with 44 seconds and no timeouts, and they somehow just felt like gift-wrapping him short routes out of bounds and long enough to make that happen ultimately for the touchdown for Kate Otten. I get that it's Tom Brady and game-winning drives are part of the equation for him, but my God, the Rams seemed like they were all too happy to roll that out and let him have it. I, I Yes, yes. I'm not trying to say too much because my number four feels like a direct handoff. Are we ready? Coming in, top four, NFL, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, who passed for 280 yards, including a game-winning touchdown pass with nine seconds remaining on the clock as they beat, as the Buccaneers beat the Rams 16-13 to in a comeback. Mike, this is Brady's 55th career game-winning drive, surpassing Peyton, Man- Peyton Manning. Also, Speaking of that, I needed to watch the Manning pack, uh, the Manning cast. I didn't know how they handled 
the Jim Irsay uh, news. Well, you saw they mentioned uh, Peyton Manning at the end of that press conference. Jim Irsay like reached over at the very end and was like, "You don't. You're gonna ask him about Peyton Manning, Jeff. I'm gonna tell you, don't answer that right now." Which didn't make sense. Don't know how it was supposed to be funny, but that's Jim Irsay, folks. Just the unhinged continues, but really, why Tom Brady is in uh, the top uh, top four of my top five. One hundred and okay, I, I you know I struggle with this. One hundred thousand career passing yards is the only player in NFL history with a hundred thousand career passing yards. You want to know his number official? One hundred thousand, one hundred one hundred sixteen thousand, one hundred thousand one hundred sixteen. That's what it is. One hundred thousand one hundred sixteen passing yards. It's incredible. Flawless. No notes, Brandon. <laughs> you crushed it. Numbers. Crushed it. You crushed it. You crushed it. Uh, you know what? And in another series of perfect handoffs, number three on the bottom five, another old quarterback, Aaron Rodgers in the red zone this past weekend. They oh, lost to the man. Detroit Lions in a game that was utterly despicable. And Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions at or inside the opponent's 10-yard line in that game. Brandon, just to give you an idea... Entering that Sunday, he had thrown just eight interceptions at or inside the opponent's 10-yard line in his entire career. So he was in the upper quartile of interceptions for his career (laughs) inside the 10-yard line in one game. Not great, Bob. Not great. Oh, no, no. And Aaron Rodgers continues to to not look great. Um, On the other side of this, uh, number three in my top three NFL is comeback wins, Mike. Hmm. Comeback wins, not to be confused with Kim Kardashian and Ray J, the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, Minnesota Vikings, the New York Jets, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all completed their comeback victories with game-winning scores within the last two minutes of regulation. Mike, there's 31 games that have been cited by game-winning scores in the final two minutes of regulations and overtime this season. And on top of that, there's been four teams that overcame – Deficits of 10 or more points on Sunday. Jacksonville, 17-point deficit. Chargers, 10-point. Minnesota Vikings, 10-point. Jets, 11-point deficit. So, comebacks. You stole that joke from the Parks and Rec bloopers. Don't think I don't know that. (laughs) I I, I like to think I stole it from Chris Pratt, but yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, Brandon, number two. Um. Josh Allen and the concerns about his UCL, uh, his ulnaral collateral ligament. Uh, For anyone that missed this, according to ESPN NFL insider Chris Mortensen, he was told that Bills quarterback Josh Allen is being evaluated for a right elbow injury to that UCL and related nerves. His status is uncertain for the game against Minnesota this weekend. Sean McDermott said we're going through it, still evaluating, and we'll see where it goes. Like for anyone that's not familiar, that UCL is a pitching injury. That's like the Tommy John surgery injury. And so hearing that after a game where we saw him take some shots, him obviously in a little bit of pain, you talked about that yesterday, is very concerning, not only for the Bills, but just for pro football. Josh Allen, a guy who's been in the MVP conversation, one of the most exciting young players in this league, would be tragic if he missed any amount of time, let alone anything serious related to that injury. Yeah, I believe the Bills have some pretty solid backups, and none of which anyone wants to hear from, because that means no Josh Allen. 
Yes, no bueno, no bueno at all. So yeah, number two on the bottom five for this week. What do you got at the top, Brandon? Uh, number two in my top five. Another perfect handoff. The AFC East. The AFC uh-huh. East is in my top two, Mike. Uh, every team in the AFC East has a winning record through nine games of the season. Obviously, Buffalo sitting at six and two. The New York Jets at six and three. The Dolphins at six and three, and the uh, New England Patriots at five and four, Mike. There, the New England Patriots are getting to the quarterback uh, quite often. Matthew Judon. Uh, the Dolphins have that great tandem in uh, Jalen Waddle and Tariq Hill. Uh, they're breaking all kinds of records as tandem. I know Waddle Waddle's getting more touchdowns than Tariq Hill, but Tariq Hill's getting more receptions. They're kind of doing a little uh, thunder and lightning thing there. Um, and then you got the Jets, great defense, amazing. And then the Buffalo Bills are now obviously, hopefully not on a on a down uh, downward spiral, but you know the AFC East having all winning records through nine weeks of the season is the first time since uh, the AFC North did it in 2021. I guess it's only been a year, but still, that was a different yeah. team though. I mean, that was, it was like it, it's it's a special time. It's well, it's the bizarro NFC South, which is uh, unquestionably the worst division in football. So it's nice to see people having sure. success. Uh, bummer for the Jets. Sheldon Rankin's dislocated elbow on Sunday uh, against Buffalo could miss four to six weeks, which sucks because, as we talked about, that's been the best four man pass rush in pro football through this first half of the season. And you hope to see that continue because it's been a ton of fun watching that Jets defense. Uh, Brandon, number one on the bottom five for this week, so surprise no one. It is the Indianapolis Colts and the continued downward spiral of this team. Um, the yeah. decision-making of Jim Ursay, the random incoherent press conference, all those things combined with the fact that the team went out and laid an egg again this weekend and that everything about that has been sad and unbecoming of a franchise that we thought was going to be able to accomplish so much going into this season. Yeah, no, it's, it's really sad, but uh, it seems like at least it's going to be entertaining, which is better than it being boring. Yeah, that is true. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited in a weird way. Uh, but coming in, number one, top five NFL moments, it's got to be Justin Fields, a former Ohio State quarterback. Mike, out of nowhere, Justin Fields, in his second year in the NFL, rushed for the most rushing yards from a quarterback in a regular season game. 178 yards, beating Michael Vick's 173 yards that he had on December 1st of 2002. The fact that Justin Fields and, and the, the Chicago Bears are just stealing Lamar Jackson plays and getting more yards is kind of infuriating. But other than that, like, like shouts out to the young man. Like, that's a crazy, impressive stat. And obviously, the Chicago Bears are leaning a lot on uh, their rushing yards. I think they have uh, the last four games have uh, over 200 rushing yards in each game. Uh, which is another record-breaking uh, performance. So, shouts out to Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. They're actually real. And they actually might have a quarterback now. Yeah, no, it, it was exciting as one of the things we talked with Carmen about was there, there feels like there's hope around there for the first time. And for Bears fans who had to suffer through what happened last year with Matt Nagy and a franchise that seemed like it was at odds with its quarterback and didn't want to do the things that leaned into his gifts, it's nice to see him having a chance because we've seen for a lot of the quarterbacks in that class, it has been tough to come by positive things for the class of 2021. So uh, that is top five, bottom five from the NFL's week nine. Uh, If we missed anything at Gojo Show on Twitter, please hit us up and let us know. But Brandon, in the meantime, time to round this thing out. Do you know what time it is? 
I see you out there. I see the numbers. Uh, Brandon, speaking of numbers, uh, we have the college football playoff committee's second college football playoff rankings that will be coming out tonight, Tuesday, as the date of the release of this podcast. And I think pretty instructive. We had the AP poll come out earlier this week. No surprises, Georgia jumping up to the number one spot after beating the whole stuffing out of Tennessee, looking every bit like the number one team in the country. That defense, Stetson Bennett even made some big plays in that game. All of that up there. um, I think the AP got it right for what will be the top six in the college football playoff rankings coming up tonight. Georgia at number one, Ohio State at number two, Michigan at three, TCU, the only undefeated remaining in the Big 12 at number four, followed by Tennessee and Oregon at five and six. Um, That, to me, makes a ton of sense, Brandon. Um, Now, as I talked about, TCU, in fact, a touchdown underdog on the road at Texas coming up this weekend. I think that's got a very real chance of being the thing that shakes up the top four this week in the world of college football. But Tennessee, you can understand they're not going to drop down too far below. Uh, LSU is at seven in the current AP poll, and I think they could be up that high in the college football playoff poll. They loved them at 10. They went out there and got a win over an Alabama team the committee clearly respects, but they also got boat raced at home by that same Tennessee squad. And so we're going to start to run into some of those common opponents, some of those head-to-head matchups that are going to matter down the stretch of the season. Also worth noting, our Notre Dame Fighting Irish in the AP poll checking in at number 20, which... I understand they don't have college football playoff relevance. That's not what I'm talking about. But as far as starting to put in position later in the season for whatever becomes of bowl season, since Notre Dame is now bowl eligible after going out there and whooping Clemson's whole ass, something to get excited about. Well, I'll tell you something I'm going to get excited about in the Pac-12, a team that's not leaving just yet. Bo Nixon, Oregon, Mike. Man. Bo Nix looks like that man, maybe the highest man. And they have a couple uh, ranked, obviously, as Pac-12 opponents, so may not move the needle uh, nationwide or for the committee as much as it could or should. But if it comes to having a good quarterback in, the, in, the, in that Final Four, Mike, Bo Nix is up there. I am so fascinated by how the committee addresses the Pac-12. And in the AP poll, there are three teams from the Pac-12 in the back end of the top 10. Oregon at 6, USC at 8, and UCLA at 10. And that's a conference where the two best teams, regardless of division, are going to play in the conference championship game. And so there's a very real chance that you've got a one-loss USC or UCLA that ends up playing a potentially one-loss Oregon team in the Pac-12 title game. And now all of a sudden, you'd have a one-loss conference champion that could be a very live dog in the college football playoff scene. So how high they get ranked and how the committee continues to treat Oregon's big first-week loss to uh, Georgia in that game that was played in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game where they got boat raced, and usually that's a one-way ticket out. I think this year, because we've got so much more volatility, all of a sudden they could be more prone for this. USC would make life much easier, I will say. If the Pac-12 is looking for wanting to have their conference represented, it's a bit of a difficult one to swallow because you know USC is getting ready to leave to go to the Big Ten. But at the same time, if USC would manage to somehow win out have that win over, uh, I believe they play UCLA coming up here soon, uh, were to have that win and then have the win over Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, their only loss would be to a Utah team that is going to be ranked up somewhere near the low teens, would be a very close loss, a loss against a ranked opponent on the road, and something that would be much more forgivable to the committee if they're really trying to slice it like that. 
Yeah, that UCLA USC game is uh, November nineteenth. Got it. So yeah, so another potential top ten win. It's the Pac twelve is by no means out of this. The uh, I would say the ACC is probably the conference that feels like it's played its way out. The Big Twelve feels like it could be on its way next because after undefeated TCU, it's four six and three teams sitting in the conference, and so plenty of that at stake coming up tonight. But you know what, Brandon? What? Go ahead. Well, I just. Can I do real quick fantasizing about which of these teams and franchises and fan bases is so excited about their really, really competitive football team that will end up playing Notre Dame in a bowl game? Like, I don't think it's going to be Tennessee, but, like, it could be Kentucky. It could be, like, like I'm, just, mean, I'm just interested. Brandon, there are some teams that are probably – there are some, I would imagine, bowl games – that are fantasizing about it potentially being LSU. <gasps> because there's a world We've done where, that before. It was LSU, yeah. Notre Dame, Music City Bowl. Yeah. And obviously, you talk about two brands that already, if they were playing, would rate. But then with the storyline of Brian Kelly going down to Baton Rouge. Because if LSU goes and loses in the SEC championship game to Georgia, if they make it that far, they get to the end of the season, and they've got three losses, now all of a sudden, we're talking about Notre Dame, who could potentially, depending, that's obviously contingent on a lot of things, right? Notre Dame's got a ranked USC game on the road that would also put them at nine and three. So a lot that could happen, but I'm sure there are some people that make up certain bowl committees that would dare to dream at this point. So, okay. Yeah. So that's, I digress. Yeah. So we got a lot of that. Very excited to see what that is. Uh, It's as competitive and open a field as we've seen in quite some time for the college football playoff. Very legitimately excited to see what the committee's got there. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that though. Um, LeBron James, uh, last week or in the last couple of days, LeBron James took to the NBA court in an outfit that was paying homage to the late rapper takeoff member of the Migos, who was unfortunately lost far too soon at the age of 28 in a very tragic way. And I don't want to minimize that. True. LeBron James took to the podium after the game and talked about takeoff. And one of the things he says was, quote, I was listening to those guys in my first year with the Heat in 2010. They had no idea what Amigos was. They were cursing me out, and I would play it in the locker room, and I was like, guys, these guys are next. I'm letting you know right now. Basically saying, I was the one putting everyone on game. Brandon, LeBron James, who is a serial line stepper when it comes to embellishing tall tales in front of the public, uh, I guess failed to note that uh, the Migos' first project didn't arrive until 2011, and his story doesn't really line up. Okay, Mike, he could be wrong on the dates. You know what I'm saying? Players mess up all the time, and I'm not here to I'm not here to defend Le- LeBron James because I do think he is a habitual line stepper, and the line I'm talking about is lying. Uh, tr- truth. He, he's one of those guys that's like never let the truth get in the, get in the way of a good story. He's a content creator. Respect that about him. That's hey. why the shop's so great. <laughs> so somebody, somebody on Twitter said he's not lying. He's just trying to keep the conversation going. Um, I, yeah, he's yes anding it. <laughs> yes and. Listen, as someone who is still Mike in our household, uh, we're still like looking at old Migo stuff and takeoff stuff because like uh, as sad. As sad as it is that takeoff passed and it was ta- and was murdered, uh, the group Migos 
died as well in a, in a weird way. So it's kind of everyone's kind of very much still in mourning uh, from takeoffs lo- takeoffs loss. So I, I almost understand what he's saying because I've been in situations recently where I've been talking to people about when the first time I listened to Migos and and who put me on and who I put on and there's, there's that's always the through line of music Mike we have that as well I think Jamar Slaughter put me on Drake uh in in uh at Oh, study hall listen, I'm not, freshman I'm, year. I'm not you know disputing I mean? that that's a big part of it. We all love being able to introduce people to artists that we care about and all that stuff. Right. It just is because it's LeBron and because we have such a rich history. I got to spend hours on what's left of God's internet yesterday going through the vast catalog of LeBron James fibs in the past. Do you have a favorite, by the way? Because mine is by far that one postseason where LeBron James went off and apparently told Chris Broussard it was after he watched The Godfather Part 2 to sort of settle his mind, and apparently that postseason claimed to watch The Godfather six times during the course of that postseason, and then when asked by a reporter about what his favorite moment or line was from the movie, defaulted to, well, there's just so many to choose from in all those movies, I I couldn't pick just one. The clear sign of someone who hasn't actually seen a movie as much as they claim to have seen a movie. Mike, I uh, how could could you pick one from Godfather Two Part Two? I've never seen any of those movies. <laughs> he did get it right when he said I mean, they're I nine hours the, long. <laughs> I was say I have that one the one time just to say I have it was zero dark thirty time. Mike, it's a different time. Yes, I do have a favorite lie. I'm trying to to see what he exactly said, but. It was along the time where we didn't know that he was really just reading the first couple pages of books, getting ready for the uh, warm-ups for the playoffs. Like, but the one, the one that I remember seeing was when he had the autobiography of Malcolm X, and that he was asked oh, about it, and he said, "A very, it. a very smart man. His words and what was going on in the 1960s is what's going on today. Still, a powerful-minded gentleman. I wish I'd had the opportunity to meet him." Honestly, though, Mike, as somebody who has finished that book within the last calendar year, I don't know if he would have been okay quoting something from that book. <laughs> he, may, he may have gotten himself into more trouble. <laughs> it's like, something I really thought was interesting, something I learned from the Brother Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, based, based on people only. You know what? Honestly, based on the recent track record of people only watching what we'd imagine is a small portion of a certain document or picture and then trying to regurgitate some of it, feels like we got off easy there. So we're going to take our victory and we're going to move on to something more worthwhile, which is, Brandon, a reminder that today around the National Basketball Association, Tuesday, November 8th, there will be no basketball games played. The NBA announced its schedule on August 16th and decided not to schedule any games on Election Day in order to encourage fans to go out and vote. And so we want to do the same thing. This election includes national, state, and local elections all across the U.S. You've got stuff going on in the Senate, the House of Representatives, state executives, state legislatures. There's plenty of other stuff that's on the ballot given where your individual state is. I know there's plenty of states that will let you go and register and vote same day if you have not registered already. There's been early voting open. There have been ballots that you can mail in. All sorts of ways to go out and get involved. And we hope that you do because it's important. All this stuff is important. I hope if nothing else, as people... People go forward. We talk about all the things that you maybe don't learn as much about in school as you need to. I hope in the last you know decade we've seen the importance and the value of going out and having your voice heard right now. It's as important as it's ever been. I am excited to vote 
I can't wait. I'm going with my wife, going to a church nearby. And uh, I, hope, I hope it's important to everyone. I hope everyone gets out there and chance to vote. I, I would say this. I encourage everyone to make it deeply personal. There are a lot of things that are going to affect bodily autonomy for a lot of people that you know, the rights, freedoms, and restrictions for people that even if they're not affecting you or someone you love now may in the future. And so I encourage you to consider all those things to think about your fellow man and to make it very deeply personal because it is to a lot of people who have been out here doing the hard work leading up to it. But also shout out to Wednesday when we won't have to receive any more goddamn text messages or see any more political ads on TV. Cause I am so sick and tired of that shit. Oh man. So many people texting me on behalf of other people. So they don't know. No, they don't. And like double or triple texting in a relationship is always a no-go here. You'd think after the first non-donation, you would take the hint. Certain people. But I digress. So anyway, go out there. Get out there. Post a picture with your little sticker if you need the social media cloud to feel good about it. This is the one day. Go for it. Show off. Go off, kings and queens. I see you. Do your thing, 21. Do your thing. Do your thing, 21. Do your thing. Uh, What We hope uh, you enjoyed doing your thing with us today. If you did, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us that review we talked about. I'm going to say it in a kinder tone. I didn't mean what I said before about coming at you guys about that. I love you. And I just want to see that love expressed in a specific box in the Apple Podcast Reviews or the Spotify (laughs) Podcast Reviews. You can tweet it at us at Gojo Show on Twitter if that's more of your medium. I want to meet you where you are because you are who I care about. Also, make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Go to the Gojo with Michael Oak Jr. tab, the playlist there. Hit a bunch of likes on those videos. You just can watch it. You don't have to watch all of them. If you've already listened to the podcast, just watch a little. Just leave it out of the background. Just throw the like up there. Yeah, and I, I put the time codes in there. You can hop around. Yeah, yeah. Get, to, get to your get to your topic du jour and keep it moving. I know. We know you got places to be. We know you got a busy day. We appreciate yeah. that about you. You're working hard. You're drinking water. You're taking care of yourself and your loved ones here. That's incredible. Amen. You deserve a lot of credit yeah. for that. We love you. So giving th- your significant others foot rubs every now and then oh, when they need them. My God, I had a long day. I know she's different. You know what? So what if his or her feet have been in those stinky socks all day and it might not smell the best right now? You love them. You take care of them. That's what you know what? If if we could reach out right now and rub your stinky feet, we'd do it. Hell yeah, we would. Ask you about your day and stuff. Like, yeah, you know what? Your boss is tripping. They don't they don't appreciate yeah, you the that, way we're getting we that do. arch. Oh man, we know I would say we know you need some work. You're holding all the tension right there. It's the fascia. The fascia is always the tough part. It's where it holds you need to start rolling your foot out with a cross ball or something like that. That's what you need to do. But in the meantime, we're gonna help you buff this out. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. I'm gonna get them I'm gonna get them piggies. Each, each little piggy, I'm gonna get all of them. All of them. They're all special and unique, just like you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.